Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's uh, weird for me to do a one-off sermon, but that's what we're doing today. We'll begin Romans after uh, Easter Sunday after next week. So two weeks from now, we'll, we'll jump into Romans and go through the whole book. But today, I just get to preach whatever I want to preach, my own hobby horse. It's dangerous. Very dangerous. I will stick close to the Word of God. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get you one. And if you have kids that need crowns and something to color, raise your hand and we'll get you that too. All right. First, you need a crown? If you're an adult and you need crowns, raise your hand. We will get you that. I'm from Indiana. We call it crowns. Okay. Uh, No, we actually, all my kids have double crowns. All right. All right. All right. Let's have some reverence. No, just kidding. All right. The word, the word of the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter five, beginning in verse 12, beautiful, beautiful section. Let's read it together. Now we ask you brothers and sisters to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for verse 24. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to just gather together and be in the word together and worship together and pray together and sing together and come to the table together. What an opportunity, Lord. Help us to take full advantage of it today. Lord, we get to hear from you today. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I have some good news, all right? And the good news is that higher life Christianity is a farce. Have you guys heard of higher life Christianity? Okay. There's all sorts of forms all over um, America, I'm sure it's, it's everywhere, but it takes many shapes and forms. And I have written this out, and I've read it many times, and so I'm going to read it again. Conversion is not the basic package of the Christian faith. Basic package. You do not need an upgrade. Conversion is everything. God would withholds nothing from you at conversion. Thinking you need an upgrade 
diminishes God's amazing grace in saving you and making you a new creation and making you alive and giving you a new heart. It diminishes the power of the gospel, thinking you need something more. It diminishes the perfect life Jesus lived on your behalf. It diminishes the death Jesus died on the cross for you. It diminishes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, thinking that we need more than what has already been declared to be finished by Jesus Christ himself. There is no second great experience subsequent to conversion. You do not need to have a second great experience to get more of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God. There are no overcomers and non-overcomers in the kingdom of God. In Christ, we are all more than conquerors. Now, that's not just my opinion. I don't get if I have opinions, I sometimes do. I, I just I'll tell you that I have an opinion. But this is not an opinion. But yet this flies in the face of so many people, even I know and love dearly, who think that there's there's got to be that there's there's and I'll touch base a little bit. I can't spend too much time in it, but they get their theology for the Christian life, and specifically the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life, they get it from narrative. They get it from the narrative of Scripture found in the book of Acts, all right? Now, the book of Acts is primarily descriptive. It's, it's telling you what went on. It's not primarily a prescriptive book, okay? So, although we can glean true things, of course, from, like, from narrative, from the book of Acts, to, to think that because we see this second experience happening in, in, in the lives of believers, that then that, that, that's what we need to have too, is, is to make a massive mistake. Because when we get to the epistles, you don't hear any of that. We just read this today. Today would have been a perfect time and a perfect spot in the Bible after 13 just rapid fire machine gun commands to the people of God, you would have thought that Paul would have said, now, in order for you to do this, you need to have this other experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's, uh, you just don't find it. And I'm going to read some verses. But I, I even come from a tradition that, that teaches, that ha- teach, still teaches that, yes, it's cool that you're saved, but have you heard of the second blessing? You know, it's, have you heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And if you have any sin in your life, it's probably because you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's like the answer for everything. Um, but two things. Um, I'll just do one because I don't want to get in trouble. One thing. Everybody that I know, and I, again, I have dear friends and family, all right, that believe in this. They, are no, they believe they've had this second, some great massive experience subsequent to conversion. Their lives are no different than any other Christian's life I've ever met. They're growing in the grace of God. They're being sanctified, just like any Christian. But they're not, they're not like uber Christians. They're not like first-class Christians. And then there's people like me. I'm just a peon. I am a peon, but I, not, not compared to them. And, and it, it causes a lot of trouble because it does like cause Christians to maybe be filled with, with, with a sense of pride, um, and, and, and also, it can fill them with deception about their own sin and their own temptation to sin in their own life because they can't admit it. Because admitting it would be to throw it all away that they've actually had some great experience. Here's what the Bible declares, all right? This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible teaches when we get to the epistles. 
Who is the one who conquers the world? Well, I want to know who is the one that conquers the world. It is the one who has had this second great experience to conversion. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We're all on the same playing field. Um, Paul declares in Romans 8, we are, you know all these verses, but we over, we, sometimes we don't see what's right in front of our faces. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who are the overcomers? Who are the conquerors? We're not just conquerors. We're more than conquerors in Christ. For now, speaking of baptism of the Holy Spirit, because there's a whole other bunch of higher life versions of Christianity. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, and we were all given one spirit to drink all who? Who's all there? Believers. He's writing to believers. He's writing to the church at Corinth there. Here's one that I, I just write in front of my face, and there's one word in it that just never jumped out at me. Um, this is out of Titus. This is Paul again. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When we are saved, when we are born again, when we are united to Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been poured on us abundantly. That's a big word. That doesn't sound like I need any more of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like I have the Holy Spirit abundantly, sufficiently. Um, and then Peter says, now, so it's, okay, so you have a Christian. They come to faith. They struggle with sin. Yes, they do. We all do. They come, and then they're told, well, you need to go to, I'll do some other ones. You need to go to this conference. You need to belong to this denomination or that denomination, and then you overcome sin. You need to buy this Bible or read this book or whatever. You jump, jump through some hoop. But my main experience is you need to have this other experience with the Holy Spirit, okay? And, but yet, here's what Peter says to the Christian. This would have been a perfect place for him to say that they need something else, but he doesn't say it. He says, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Has given, and of course will continue to give, but has given. When did he give that to us? When he birthed us again. When he gave us a new heart. When he regenerated us when he made us alive, when he saved us, he gave us everything we need required for life and godliness. So much rest and assurance in these verses. And then, of course, Paul says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. The Holy Spirit in our lives is a spiritual blessing. He goes on to talk about that even in Chapter 1 of Ephesians. I mean, it, this would have been were a perfect opportunity for him to say, if you have had this other experience. But he doesn't. It's for those, I mean, you guys know Ephesians chapter 1. It is the union with Christ chapter. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Well, when does that happen? When we're saved. When we're born again, when we're converted, when we're saved by God, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavens. So we don't have to run around our rest of our lives chasing our tails, thinking we got to get this other thing. We don't, we don't have to. We have Christ, all right? 
Paul says in Colossians that Christ is all. And if you have Christ, and dear Christian, you have Christ, Christ is your life, then you have everything. And in this passage today, it just shows us once again that every child of God has the will of God available to them. Every child of God has God's power and strength to live out God's will for them in this life because every Christian has God, or better yet, God has every Christian. This passage here shows us that all of God's people will grow because God himself will grow them. We are being sanctified. We will be sanctified. Those who have been justified have been definitively sanctified. That means set apart from sin to be holy, and we will be progressively sanctified. We will grow in holiness. Every child of God, every single one. Again, there is no... And I know that sometimes we feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, regardless of what doctrine or what's going on in our lives. You're not. Oh, you might be struggling with sin. I'm sure you are. I hope you're struggling. If you're not struggling, then you're delusional. Yes, you're being tempted to sin. Yes, you're failing. And yes, you're sinning and constantly repenting. And sometimes we can look around and think, man, am I the only one? Sometimes I, I can. you can think or I can think, is there something wrong with me? Am I even saved? Does God love me? Do I love God? And if so, then is, am I lacking something? And the Bible says, no, you have all that you need in Christ. Life is hard. We're pilgrims passing through. Do not fall for the theology of glory in this life. The theology of glory is meant for the next life. We are living out, pick up your cross and follow me life. The theology of the cross, suffering, persecution, mourning, sin. Now, it's not all down. I'm not trying to depress anybody here. It's not, I mean, the kingdom has come, but it, and it is coming, but it hasn't come in full fruition. So this whole idea that you can have something in this life that is going to make you some just crazy, like Captain America Christian is for the birds. And, and if, you, if, if you don't fall for it, then you're going to be able to actually, I wholeheartedly believe walking in that freedom of not falling for that actually frees you up and enables you to actually walk in the way better, better walk in the way that God wants you to walk in. If we just look to Christ and quit looking around at everybody else or, or every, all these other winds of doctrines that are saying Christ isn't enough. Thinking that you need something subsequent to conversion is declaring Christ is not enough. It is declaring that Christ's work is not enough. It is declaring that Christ's work on the cross and his life lived for you, that it actually isn't finished, that there's some unfinished business that needs to take place, and you're the one that's got to go figure it out. No, life is hard. We sin, we suffer. We repent, praise the Lord for repentance and for confession of sin and doing it together and forgiveness. If you're in this room and you feel alone in your battle of sin, you are not alone. You are not alone. All of God's people are dealing with it in one way or another. Just ask every husband's in here wife. Ask my kids. Ask the wives' husbands. They'll tell you that the people that they are closest to, they know. 
And so we don't, we get to drag the elephant out in the room and all grab a bazooka gun and shoot it all at the same time. There's not some, there's not some higher version of Christianity. This is the, the version you're living is the highest version available to you because you've been united to Christ. And, and, and the, the Bible declares it. Your circumstances may not always declare it. Your thinking may not always declare it, but the Bible declares it. And we've got to trust the Bible over our circumstances, over our feelings, over our emotions, and over our experiences, and over other people's experiences. Because there are people that'll say, you, I've had this experience. You can't tell me it's not true. And I said, I'm not telling you it's not true. The Bible is telling you it's not true. You need to submit your experiences to the word of God. And so someone could say, well, then what happened when I had that experience? God poured his grace out on your life? Uh, maybe you were just born again? Maybe you, maybe you're struggling, you were saved, and then you struggled with sin, and still, maybe you weren't saved. And then maybe God birthed you again, and that's why you finally felt like a new creation and had some power over sin. I, I don't know. But I know man's personal experience doesn't trump the word of God ever, ever. And I know I'm saying a lot, but I, it's a good introduction to what it says here. It just, this portion here, just remind, you want to know the will of God? You don't have to be a super saint to know the will of God. You don't have to climb in your brain and find out which voice in your brain is the will of God. I know I've said this three sermons in a row, but I love saying it. The voices in your head are your own. None of them are God. God's word is God's will, and it's available to all of us in this room. We all probably have 10 or 15 Bibles. If we, we, so we all get to come today and find out God's will for us. And yes, it's always in the form of commands. So it's God's law for Christians, the third use of the law. Remember, we've been talking about that. It's to guide us. And, but when you read it, you could be kind of overwhelmed with it. It's like, broom. but then he's like, hey, God's got you. So today we get to hear the word of God, the will of God, the commands of God, and then God say, hey, I've got you. You don't have to go chase your tail. You don't have to go have some crazy whacked out experience, make believe land. You don't have to. You don't have to play house. You don't have to play school. You don't have to play church. I've got you. And so here are the commands. Now, in light, I know I just started in the commands, but man, 1 Thessalonians, when you read it, he waits a long time to let her rip. And he grounds these commands, these imperatives on the indicatives. He has already laid the groundwork that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, that they have been chosen by God, and that he's, he's just constantly pointed them to who God is and what God has done. He has laid that groundwork, all right? This is who you are. Now go be who you are, and here's what he says, okay? Now we ask you, brothers and sisters. I better hit start on my sermon. Oops. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you, all right? This is all straightforward. I'm not actually going to explain much here, okay? And to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Respect your elders. Respect your leaders. Now, what I love about this, okay, is the pressure. He even relieves pressure here for the elders. He also relieves a lot of pressure for you, too, because he doesn't say love them because of who they are. Love them because they're lovable. Now, they need to be men, of course, of character, 
And it would be cool if you would love me because I'm lovable or whatever. I hope part of you loves me for that. But ultimately, we're called to love our leaders in the Lord because of their work, because of what they do. What do you think he means that they are doing primarily? They're shepherding and pastoring, and they're preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of God. That's what they're doing. And so love them for what they do. Can't love us for who we are. Love us for what we do. And guys, it's okay to love people for what they do. I think sometimes we're like, oh, I, I, lo- I love Jim for what he does. It's like, really, I love Jim for who he is. And it's like, they're like, we're pitting them against each other. And it's like, no, it's okay to love people for what they do. And here, the word of God says, hey, love and respect your elders because of the work that they do. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters. Notice, these are, these, it's the twice he's already said that just in this section. This is to the people of God. This is not earning our way into heaven. This is not maintaining our way into heaven. This is not keeping our way. This is not proving to everybody that we're saved. To yourself, it's not proving to God. It's, it's not proving to your neighbor or your coworkers. This is who we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Warn those who are idle. That's easy. Warn people that are lazy. Be a friend to them. Come alongside them. Put your arm around them and point them to the scripture. Christians of all people should be the least laziest people in the world because we know that we don't have to work. We know that God doesn't need our work. God doesn't need anything. If he did, he wouldn't be God. We know that God doesn't need our works at all. We also know that we don't need our works because we have Christ's works but we know our neighbors need our works. We know where to go. Basically, these, all these 13 commands can be summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And so brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged. Do I need to explain those words to you? No. <laughs> comfort those that you know that are discouraged. Help the weak. This is the key. Be patient with everyone because we often will warn the idol and think, I warned him, my work is done. We often will go comfort the discouraged, put our arm around with them and weep with them and give them a little encouragement and then think, my work is done. We often will help the weak and think, my work is done. And then when we find out that 99.9% of the time, that person who is idle is going to need warned again, That person that needs comforted is going to need comfort again. That person that is weak and needs you to hold them up is going to be weak again and need you to hold them up again. And so we've got to be patient because there isn't usually, I don't know if I've ever said a word to somebody that's really, really, really struggling. It's just like, sweet, that's what I needed. I'm done. No, it might be the word that gets them through the day or through the hour. But most of us, what we struggle with, we constantly struggle with. And the reason we're not kind of like delivered from it, I believe here's an opinion, this is my opinion, is that the very things that we primarily struggle with are the very things that keep us close to God and to the people of God. And if we were delivered from it, we would go off in la-la land thinking we accomplished something. And we would turn our backs potentially on God and the gathering of the people of God, the church. Now be patient with everyone. You're, whoever you're right now, think of the person. It could be your wife. It could be your son. It could be your husband. It could be your friend. It could be someone in this room. It probably is people in this room. Be patient with them. Stay at it. 
Keep, keep encouraging them. Keep praying for them. Keep mourning with them. Keep lifting them up. Keep reminding them of who they are and who Christ is and who they are in Christ. Okay. Uh, patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone. That makes sense. Always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's the will of God for us. And he's even not even done. I mean, I mean, don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise the prophecies. Test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This is the will of God for the people of God. We have it right here. Now, oftentimes we come and we hear a sermon and the, the preacher starts telling you how to apply these to every nook and cranny of your life. And then that then becomes what we think the interpretation of the scriptures are here in this section. No, we take this word, this is the will of God, and then we say, Lord, help me to apply this to my situation at work, or my situation at home, or my situation in the church, or my just heart and, and stuff that's going on in my life and how I'm thinking about people. No, you, the, and then we just trust the Holy Spirit in one another's lives to do that. So I know what I need to do, but for me to get up here and tell you what I need to do based on my relationships with my wife and my kids, it, it would, I mean, maybe there would be some crossover, but what would happen is you might, you might think then you got to go do those things and maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe God works this out in your life in different ways. And again, that just keeps us from comparing ourselves to one another. Oh, Jeremiah doesn't uh, take out the trash. Well, no, I don't. I have six kids. But let's say I had, maybe my wife didn't, doesn't care that I take out the trash. But maybe your wife is desperately, a, a way for you to just show love to your wife is to take out that trash. Oh, Jeremiah's wife doesn't make him coffee in the morning. She does. It's hit or miss before I get up, but maybe husbands or wives, maybe just doing something little like that, maybe that's like how God wants you to take, like just love one another, be kind to one another, like to see the fruit of the spirit in your life be activated. Maybe that's what would, something that small would, would be awesome for your spouse. I, I don't know, but we can't be married for one another, but we can be Christians together. We can hear the will of God together and then go do the work of God together. Uh, what an incredible privilege that we just have the Word of God, that we do get to get out of our stinking, thinking brains for a while and, and like quit running around and trying to figure out which direction God wants us to go. There, listen, I'm going to give you an example, but I'm not, but I will kind of. You, you need to know if you need to go left or right. And so you're praying, God, tell me if I need to go left and right, left or right. God is not going to tell you which direction to go specifically. Now, you then, you're just like, well, what do I do? Well, you pray for wisdom, you pray for discernment, you ask others to pray with you, you search scriptures, and then you glean principles from scriptures to then help you decide whether you should go left or right, okay? Let's say going left and right, neither one is sin. There's, not, there's no sin if you go left or right. Which direction do you go? I have no idea. You're probably going to have to step out in faith. And it's usually in hindsight when you look back that you're like, oh my gosh, I made the right call. 
Incredible. People used to ask me, how did you know you were supposed to move down to Indiana? I was like, who told you I knew or moved to Kentucky from Indiana? I'd be like, who told you I knew? I, I mean, I would say this. I don't say this anymore. I'd be like, I still don't know. But now I feel like I, feel like I know because Kentucky's my home. And I love this little church. And I can look. Now, what if I would have stayed? Um, was it like a Jonah situation? I don't think so. I would have got swallowed up by a whale if I wouldn't have moved to Lexington, Kentucky. No, I think I would be raising a beautiful family, plugged into a little local church back home in Crawfordville, Indiana. And God would be blessing that life the same way he's blessing my life right now. I mean, oftentimes as a pastor, the, the decisions people come to me with, I, I'm like, hey, if neither one of them is like sin or and, and there's no sin involved in what decision you're going to make, like, should I buy this red car or this green car? I, just You're not going to get zapped because you made the wrong decision. And just because you pick the green car and it breaks down two days later, now nah, that means you made the wrong decision. But that doesn't mean you're a horrible human being that needs to repent of sin. It just means you made the wrong decision. And maybe because in God's providence, it's actually the right decision. And he's going to work all that to good because he says he's going to. Man. And so I love it. We have these commands, but then we have the promise of God. We have the will of God. Today, we get to come and hear the will of God for our lives. Then you get to leave here and apply it to your own lives. But we, we, you're not leaving here like suck it up, buttercup, right? You're not leaving here with everything hinging upon you trying to live this life and figure it out. You get these 13 rapid-fire commands, and then Paul comes in from the top ropes and says, now may the God of peace himself, oh, praise the Lord, sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's terrifying if he didn't say what he just said. May your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? And then he says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Oh, it'll look, I mean, it looks from our vantage point, it looks messy. A lot of times it doesn't look like he's doing it, but he's doing it because his word says he's doing it. And so you got to get out of your brain and be like, Okay, he's doing it for all these super Christians over there. No, 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 he's doing it for you. He's doing it for all of us. Uh, whatever it looks like, that's what he's doing. He is keeping you, body and soul and spirit, sound and blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is doing that work. Earlier in First uh, Thessalonians, he said, for this is God's will, your sanctification. That's God's will for your life. You think it's going to happen? Yes. Jesus, um, in the high priestly prayer of John 17, says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's two awesome things there. Jesus is praying this, that the Lord would sanctify his people, that the Lord would grow his people and keep his people. Do you think that prayer was answered? I think if any prayer was ever answered, it's a prayer from Jesus. Okay. But what's also really cool is how are we sanctified? By the word of God. By the word of God primarily by gathering together with the body of Christ to sing, pray, preach, hear, and see at the table the word of God. That's how we grow. Now, do you grow at home reading your Bible by yourself? Yes. Is that Trump gathering at the church? Not a chance. Not a chance. As wonderful as that is, reading your Bible by yourself, 
I hope you are reading your Bible by yourself, but even when you're doing that, I hope you're still reading the scriptures with the church, like with maybe some commentaries and with some creeds and confessions at hand, because you are not the genius that you think you are if you're just at home always reading your Bible by yourself. We have 2,000 years of people way smarter than you that we get to stand on their shoulders. And then we got collectively just in this room, we got people that are smarter than one another. And, and so we don't get off and, again, coming up with, with weird stuff. Guys, we, we come up with weird stuff when we read the scriptures by ourselves in isolation. I mean, I'm talking like total, complete isolation. Like, like it's your default thing. No, God grows his church by every little local church. We are to be primarily studying the scriptures with the church. Every wonky thing out there is some yehu like twiddling, looking at his navel and with his Bible and coming up with weird doctrines. But in this day and age, they get to have Instagram pages and they get to get followers and they get to start podcasts and YouTube channels and they get to be thought leaders and self-proclaimed ordained ministers. They get, they get to do all of that. It's, it's out there. It's everywhere. No, we are, we are grow by the word of God and primarily by growing in the word of God together with one another. Uh, Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Is that going to happen? Yes, we're going to be sanctified so that we would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he just leaves out sanctified. He also glorified. He doesn't even talk about sanctification here. It's so locked in. So sure is the sanctification of God's people that Paul just jumps right over it. So sure of it. So sure of it that Paul says, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All the way home. He takes us all the way home. Well, for him to take us all the way home means he can't leave us at any time in this life. And he doesn't. He's faithful. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from condemnation of sin. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. It's happening for all of us in this room that are, are believers in Christ Jesus. We are being sanctified. Christ will do it. He who is faithful, he who called you, he will do it. He is doing it. Augustine says, oh Lord, command what you will and give what you command. And he does. Command what you will, Lord. Tell me what to do, but uh, 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 don't just tell me what to do. Help me to do it. And God's word all over the place says he will. I mean, the easiest one to remember is God's given us everything for life and godliness. But we have this word too. And you guys, I mean, what would be really helpful for you today is go home um, and read chapter 13 of the second, second London Baptist Confession that we gave you, which talks about all like, it's a short chapter, but it's so sweet and beautiful because it, it gets into details that I'm not going to get into, like, like that we do, you know, we do fail. And we do sin, but never so completely that we are no longer a child of God. And God even uses that stuff and time in our lives, not, 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 I mean, to, to grow us. When Paul says God works all things out for good for those who love him, he means all things. 
He means even your struggles, your sin, and your temptation to sin. That doesn't mean we run out to sin so he can work it for good, but when we do sin, he's going to work it for good. Remember, where sin abounds, grace does what? Super abounds. And of course, Paul knew that some people would be like, oh, cool, I'll go sin, so grace abounds even more? That's weird. We don't think like that, but what a relief to know that. And so what do we do with this? Here's the application I'm going to give. You can come up, Elijah. Remember the gospel today. Imagine that. Remember the gospel. Remembering the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power and motivator we need for holy living. Remember, Paul says in Romans 1, it is the power of salvation, not just justification, but for sanctification, for growing, always setting before us who God is and what he's done in sending his son to live for us and to die for us. How, how can I go on sinning? I mean, I will, but how can I not be repenting of it in light of all God has done for me in his son? We have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be sanctified completely. We will be glorified. We have the righteousness of Christ. We have forgiveness of sin. We have eternal life. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are united to Christ. We are united to one another. We are a new creation in Christ. There is no condemnation for us who are in Christ. Christ is our life. He who calls you his faithful, he will do it. He who will raise you up on the last day will surely strengthen you in this day. His mercies are new every morning. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. The triune God will not leave us or forsake us. So that's my rapid fire. Just look at that. That's what, that's what you need in your life for holy living. That's what you need to know. You need to know what God has done in Christ, and you need to know what he's doing in you right now in Christ. He is sanctifying you. Every single Christian is being sanctified. It, differently, in different ways, but all grounded and founded on the same word of God. And what do we do now that I, I, I heard these commands? I heard that God is actually going to sanctify me. He's going to do this work in my life. Then I sat and I remembered that, that God sent his son to live a life that I should have lived but couldn't have lived. He lived it for me. And then he gave me his righteousness. And then he died the death I should have died. He died for me and forgave me of all of my sin. And that he rose again three days later. And that he ascended at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for me right now. And that he's coming back for me. And that he's going to keep me until he comes back for me. Now what do I do? Go back to the commands. In light of that, now, go respect your leaders. Go um, be at peace with yourselves. Go warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that you don't repay evil for evil. Pursue what is good for one another. Rejoice always, even in the midst of trials. Rejoice. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. Because this is God's will. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Obey the word of God. Don't despise prophecies. Obey the word of God. 
hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Of course we want, that's, this is, of course, we get to do this. And we get to do it together. And so with rest and assurance and gratitude, we go do the work, the commands. Not in fear, not in trying to prove that we're saved or stay saved or I don't know what other bad reasons. No, with assurance that we are saved, with rest that God is not leaving us and never will and is even going to come alongside us and help us and sanctify us. I mean, sanctification is even monergistic. God is doing it. In light of all that, then now go obey the word of God. The scriptures declare that we have justification, sanctification, adoption, reconciliation, washing, redemption, purchase, liberation, new birth, illumination, and resurrection, all by being united to Christ. We have it all. So now let's just go be who we are this day, this week, and walk in all we have in Christ. Dear brother, dear sister, I know life is hard. I know that your experience is not always peachy, but you are being sanctified. You are being kept until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not keeping yourself. You do not have to keep yourself. You can't keep yourself, but God, he will keep you. He will finish the work that he started in your life. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. What a good word, Lord. You are faithful. You will do it. So many times, Lord, we are not faithful. Lord, we can't do it. What a, what a refreshing deep breath we get to take today in Christ. Lord, help us to trust your word over what some of our circumstances may be telling us, what some of our stinking thinking might be telling us, what some of our actions might be telling us, what maybe some other people might be telling us, Lord, help us to trust your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.